For a few moments, uh, turn with me to the book of Matthew chapter 14. I want to take you back to an extremely familiar text and uh, one that I myself go to quite often. I'll tell you why in just a moment, but I want to go back to it. I had intended to preach an entirely different message today. I had felt the Lord, or at least I felt Him nudging me, and I'm still going to preach it maybe tonight or some time in the near future. But in prayer last night, the Lord quickened this passage and this verse and began to speak to me very clearly. And I, I pray that He will be able to do that through me this morning and I can get out of the way. Matthew chapter 14, verse number 22, and it reads like this, And straightway Jesus constrained his disciples to get into a ship and to go before him unto the other side while he sent the disciples, or sent the multitudes away. And when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up into a mountain apart to pray, and when the evening was come, he was there alone. But the ship was now in the midst of the sea, tossed with waves, for the wind was contrary. I want you to underscore that in your mind, for the wind was contrary. Mark goes a little further in his description. He said they were toiling in rowing because the winds were contrary. And in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went unto them walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It is a spirit. And they cried out for fear. But straightway Jesus spake unto them, saying, Be of good cheer. It is I. Be not afraid. Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it be thou, bid me come unto thee on the water. Note those last few words. And when Peter, and he said, come. And when Peter was come down out of the ship, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. But, everybody say but. There's that conjunction that always spoils everything. But, when he saw the wind boisterous, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, beginning to sink, he cried, saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched forth his hand, caught him, and said unto him, O thou little of little faith, wherefore didst thou doubt? I want to talk to you for a few moments this morning from the subject, A Good Walk Spoils. Amen. Say that with me. A good walk spoiled. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. You may be seated. 
It was Mark Twain who was first noted as making this statement in reference to golf. (laughs) He said golf was a good walk spoiled. If any of you have ever played golf, you know for some degree he had that right. I am a lover of, I say lover, I enjoy playing golf at one point in my life. But I can identify with his statement because golf is one of those games where you think one moment you've got it all together and the very next shot you wonder why you're even playing. And it can very quickly deteriorate from high hopes and uh, desires of an enjoyable day into a miserable, what am I doing here? What was I thinking? Want to throw all your clubs away? Some of you are shaking your head. You understand what I'm talking about. It was later on that a golf writer by the name of John Feinstein actually wrote a book called A Good Walk Spoiled, and it was about life inside the ropes, the golf professional world, And he speaks about the many triumphs and tragedies. And one thing that comes clear in his writing is that one week the golfer thinks he can't miss and the next day he can't hit anything. One week you think you've got it all together and the next moment you're wondering why you even play it all. So it is. And it becomes a good walk spoiled. There's something when you read the scripture that is important to remember in trying to understand the passage that you are reading. Number one, it is important to read it carefully. Read it carefully and read all of the passage, not just a verse out of the passage. Read it and reread it because every time you read this word, because it is a living word, It is not just text on paper. It is not just a book like other books in the world. But it is the Word of God. It is an ever-living Word. Hebrews said it is quick. That means Lord. Piercing powerful. And it is sharper than a two-edged sword. Piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit even down to the marrow of the bone, and is a discerner of the thought and the intent of the heart. That's pretty powerful, folks. I don't know if you really think about it when you read the Word, but the Word is alive. So when you read it, you don't need to just read it once and say, oh, I've read that passage before. Go back and read it again, because every time you read it, It will speak something fresh to your life. Whatever your present circumstance is, it will speak into that present circumstance. So read it and then reread it, but read it all. Don't just pick and choose what you want out of it, but go read the whole context of the story because it can give you fresh understanding and insight. And the second thing that I've tried to always do when reading any passage of Scripture is consider what is not said. 
Sometimes the greatest lesson that I've learned from any particular text has been what he did not say. And not only what he did not say, but perhaps what was inferred. And it required spiritual discernment or uh, investigation to further understand. That's something along the lines of the question that the disciples asked of the Lord about parables. And he said, I'm speaking to you in parable because seeing they shall not see and hearing they shall not hear. He was talking in reference to the uh, to his, his, his kinfolks, his people, and they had become dull to the voice of God. And so he spoke in a way that would take a man, uh, uh, an in, intent in understanding what was being said. And so you need to read it, reread it, and then you need to consider what is not said and perhaps what is inferred. Now, There is in this story that we read today a fascination to me that never ceases to exist. I don't know how many times in my ministry I have preached from this text and even I've even considered the last five, six, seven years I'm certain that in in some form or other it has been referenced on a yearly basis because there is life in so many of, uh, of the things that are mentioned here. Perhaps the reason that it is of such interest to me is because life is filled with so many of the same things that you will find in this text. The extremes that are experienced by his disciples. One minute they're on the mountain and he's breaking bread and he's handing out fish and they're feeding 5,000 people plus women and children, 5,000 men. And, and then the next moment he puts them in a boat and they're rowing and toiling against contrary winds and they're alone in the middle of the Sea of Galilee. And then There are the unexpected encounters that come along in life, the storms that come up so quickly when we are not looking for them, and then the challenges of how we're going to overcome, how we're going to, how are we going to get through this when it seems at any particular moment in that story they were alone and he was nowhere near them. And then there's the fears that come. And they come to all of us. None of us are exempt from that. Fears that, that choke the life out of you. And, and then there even is the opportunities that are presented in such a, a, a text of, of such dimensions. The disciples had left him after a day of ministry and they were headed uh, across to their next destination. He had sent them ahead and he was going to disperse of the multitude. And then the Bible said that he went up into the mountains to pray. And while he prayed, the the disciples paddled. (laughs) What a contrast. While he was praying, they were toiling. And uh, they were trying to get through uh, the adversities that they had encountered on the Sea of Galilee, and against the adversity of the sea and the winds they traveled on. They were toiling in rowing. 
The Bible said that the ship was tossed with waves because the winds were contrary. Now, I want that to stick in your mind because of what is going to happen in just a short time from this particular passage. There's going to be a change in the attitude and in the in, in the mindset concerning what they had become so accustomed to and what they were dealing with. And the Bible said that they were uh, they, they were working against the, the, the effects of the wind because the winds were contrary in their subconscious mind, in their obvious way of looking at that. They saw what their problem was. It was the winds that were contrary. And they were doing their best to overcome them. And then in the fourth watch of the night, the Bible says that Jesus came walking to them on the water. And when he first was visible, when they first recognized him, they they thought it was a, a ghost. They thought it was a phantom, the word in the Greek. It, they were alarmed and distressed. And uh, the Greek text indicates that they shrieked. <laughs> Uh, it's hard to imagine hardened fishermen shrieking. I, if, if it had been uh, a, a young person or perhaps uh, uh, somebody that was not used to the winds or the waves, perhaps, but hardy fishermen, it, it just strikes me as kind of humorous that the, the word in the Greek indicates they lost their voice and they shrieked with a loud voice like someone who had been frightened uh, out of their mind. And the Lord spoke to them and said, be not afraid, it's I. And uh, when, when he identified himself, there was something in Peter that rose up and he said, Lord, if it is you, bid me come. And uh, I, I want to be where you are. And one word, one word summoned him into a walk of supernatural proportions. One word invited him into a dimension that he could not even fathom. And so over the side of the boat, Peter went without hesitation, without any reservation, without any compunction. He just Went And I thought it was humorous when I was studying this particular passage, how many sermons have been preached about Simon Peter's impetuousness and his haste. And I read some of the sermons that had been preached about why it was wrong to be uh, impulsive like that and how being impulsive could get you into trouble. And I'm thinking, boy, you're a real encouragement to me. I need to know how to walk on water. I don't need somebody telling me I'm a lunatic for thinking that I can do that. I need to know how to overcome my problem. I don't need somebody telling me that you can't ever overcome that problem. You might as well get used to living with it. Amen. And I'm so thankful that I didn't listen to what the commentator said, but I tried to listen to what the Holy Ghost was saying. Because the Bible says that Peter laid hold of a divine promise and he laid hold of divine power by simply responding to that invitation. And over the side of the boat he went and the Bible says that he walked on water. Now, he's doing the impossible. He's doing 
the improbable. He is overcoming what had terrorized them just a few moments before. And now I, I do not know how far he walked. As a matter of fact, I don't even care if it was one step or two steps. The mere fact that he had the courage to get out of the boat. I like that kind of person. I like that kind of person that said, you know what, Lord, if you can do it, evidently you're trying to encourage me to believe that I can do it. And by your help, I believe I can do it. And Jesus' response to that kind of attitude was, come on. Amen. I'm thankful for a God that doesn't try to discourage me from faith in him. Amen. I'm thankful for a God that's willing, even when it seems to the human mind to be improbable and impetuous, that he will say, come on. Come on, join me out here in this this adventure, this journey. And here's here's what I want to go back to, the, the side note that I think is so important. The winds that had been so much a part of their earlier efforts... And according to scripture had been noted as their adversary in their journey. Suddenly had dissipated. It had completely lost its force and power. As Peter stepped out of that boat onto that water. I mean what had caused him to strain every muscle and fiber of his being to overcome one moment has suddenly just gone off the radar, so to speak, in this moment. He he didn't even seem to be aware that there was any wind blowing because of the invitation that Jesus had made him. Amen. What an interesting thought that so much of what had been a part of his earlier efforts is now lost to the presence of, Of his Savior, his God. His voice, his command, his words had drowned out the noise of the wind and had released him to walk in a dimension of faith that he would think back on, I'm sure, in many days to come of the wonder of that moment. He would have made it All the way, if it had not been for one thing. If he had held on to the faith that got him into it, it would have certainly got him out of it. Amen. But something happened. Something happened that spoiled a good walk. Something happened that ruined almost the entire story. And the Bible said he he began to sink. Scripture describes it this way. But when he saw the winds, boisterous. Now, these are the same winds that had been buffeting that boat 
that he had been toiling against, that he had been rowing to overcome, and he had been putting up all of the resistance he could to somehow overpower the effects of those winds. And then they're completely forgotten. They're completely off his radar. And then almost as suddenly, he's aware of those winds again. And when he became aware of those winds again, the Bible said he began to sink. When he saw the strength of the winds. Now the winds had not changed. Those winds were not even any stronger that moment than they had been before Jesus ever got to them on the boat. The winds had not changed in velocity from the beginning to now. They were just as strong then as they seem to be now, but suddenly they've taken on a whole new dimension and they've gained a new prominence in his mind. They've gained a new prominence in his thoughts and they become a point of distraction. They become a point of distraction. And he became distracted from the divine, suddenly there was this disconnect that took place from the word that had summoned him, from the Jesus that stood there before him. In a moment of time, something was cut. The lines, whatever that was that was holding him up, whatever it was that was sustaining him in his walk over those waves and over that adversity, Suddenly it is broken by distraction. Distraction. Everybody say distraction. Distraction. And when the distraction came, then he lost his sense of focus. That all-consuming passion that had gotten him into that experience had been lost because of the distraction. And now his focus on the one, the the only one, the master, the the voice, the, the calling one, all of it was broken in that moment and he lost sight of what had compelled him to get into that experience to begin with. He had lost sight of what had compelled him to come out of that boat And try his luck on the water. His attention happened by other than Jesus. And when that happened, the Bible said he began to sink. Amen. Say that with me. He began to sink. Something else now had his attention. He thought of the wind, and the wind took the place of Jesus. He lost his nerve and he lost his courage. And in that moment of distraction, everything changed. In that interlude of disconnect, distractions turned his mind away from what had been the focus of his attention. And now he's floundering. Now he's flailing in the water. Amen. All because he lost His focus. Amen. Being distracted. 
He had been taken away from what he had been doing. What he had done so easily, so effortlessly, without fear, without doubt, without question. What he had been overcoming suddenly was trying to swallow him up. Take him under. Because he was distracted. While I was praying last night, the Lord said, that's exactly what's wrong with some of my people. The reason they're floundering right now in their situation and the reason they're flailing and grasping for everything that comes by is because they have been distracted. They've lost sight of me. Because as long as I am in their vision, there's things they can overcome that others looking around them would say there's no way they can ever beat that kind of habit. There's no way they can overcome that kind of failure. There's no way they'll ever become that person or that woman or that man that they think they can be. But when you have your eyes on Him and Him alone, there are things that you are empowered to do in a moment like that that just sitting on a pew looking at other people will never empower you to do. But once you lock eyes with Him, once you get your attention focused on Him, there's something something compelling about him. There's something powerful about his spirit that said, come on, you can overcome that. Come on, you can beat that. Come on, you can defeat that. You can put that behind you. You can put that under your feet. And when we keep our eyes on him, it's not hard to walk on water. It's not hard to overcome our adversities. It's not hard to put all of that in perspective. Amen. But the moment, whatever it is in life that causes you to lose sight of Him, maybe something else becomes a priority in your spiritual walk. Maybe something else becomes more important to you than the time you used to spend in fellowship with Him then you too find yourself just as this man was sinking. What he had been overcoming, what he had been walking on, what had been impossible, he had been doing it. He had been overcoming it until that moment blew his garment that a wind blew his garment. And for some reason, whatever, he lost sight of him for just a moment, just a second. And then the wind. Every time in my spiritual life when I've ever allowed anything to cause me to lose sight of him, it has an effect on me. It doesn't just come in slightly or slowly. It comes in with a roar. 
because it has to overwhelm me. That's why when you read the, the book of Job and, and you read of the opening chapters of this man's life, it wasn't one tragedy that came. It wasn't one problem that happened to Job, but it was the multiplicity of things that as soon as one servant had left, another servant came through the door. And as soon as that servant was gone, another servant came through the door. And when that servant was gone, another servant came through the door. And you can understand the purpose of de- the devil working like that because he's got to overwhelm you. He's got to do something up here that will cause you to lose sight of him. And he can only do that by overwhelming you. And the Bible said that suddenly the winds were boisterous. They weren't suddenly boisterous. But he just became aware of the wind more than he was aware of Jesus. And when you allow that to happen in your spiritual life, it will always overwhelm you. It will always cause you to sink. That's why God sent me this morning to try to talk to some of you. He's been trying to get your attention. He's been trying to get your eyes focused back on him. But the devil's working too. He likes seeing me flounder. He likes seeing me fail. He likes seeing me wallow in my misery and my my embarrassment. He likes me when I feel humiliated. He loves it when I am condemned. And I don't have the courage to lift my hands because I know what I've done. And he reminds me. And so a countless time he come bombarding my mind. You don't, what are you doing raising your hand? What do you think you're doing even sitting on that pew? What are you doing sitting on the front row? I know what you did this week. I know what you said. And so he bombards our mind. And if we're not careful, we begin to lend ear to what he's saying more than what God God is saying, we begin to listen more to what is going on around us than what he is saying to us. And when that happens, there's only one inevitable outcome, and that is I am going down. Amen. And what he had been overcoming suddenly changed and began to overcome him. What he had been walking on the top of suddenly began to swallow him up now became impossible for him to sustain his motion and his movement. He was distracted from the voice that had invited him. He had become distracted because of the elements, because of life. Wind, that's, that's just part of life. But it had become so much a part, focus, of his mind that he saw that more than he saw what God was inviting him to. He became aware of what was not working rather than the one who was working for him. And the winds came back into focus. His eyes got on the wrong things. I wonder how many of us this morning that the reason we're struggling is because our eyes are on the wrong thing. I wonder how many people that are spiritually in a quagmire, you feel like you're in quicksand. 
you're going down, not fast, but you just feel like there's just something swallowing you up and, and you're struggling, but it seems like the more you struggle, the deeper you sink into it. What's caused that? What, why do all of a sudden I feel overwhelmed? Why is it that I feel like I'm alone? Why is it that I feel like nobody understands? Why is it that I feel like nobody knows where I am? Because I have lost sight of Him. I have lost sight of Him. And when I lose sight of Him, the inevitable happens. I get my eyes on things. I get my eyes on people. I start justifying, well, you know, I'm not as bad as he is. I know what she did. I'm not that bad. Yeah. We read too much Facebook. God have mercy. Forgive me for saying that, Lord. I didn't mean to bring that subject up today. But we let what some pipsqueak says about us on Facebook have more influence over us than what God says about us in that book. We let some backslidden, reprobate mind that doesn't have a clue of what God's up to have more influence on us than what this Word has been trying to say about us and say to us. And when that kind of thing happens, you're going down, folks. You cannot sustain yourself under those kind of circumstances. Somehow, you've got to wake up and realize i got to get my eyes back on Him. Because when my eyes were on Him, it wasn't hard walking on water. When my eyes were on Him, it wasn't hard doing the impossible. When I had my eyes on Him, I didn't worry about what was under me. I didn't care about what was going on around me. When I had my eyes on Him, it didn't matter what anybody else did. It didn't matter what anybody else said. When my eyes were on Him, that's all that mattered. That's all that I saw, Brother Leon. And as long as I saw Him, I could walk on my trouble. I could overcome my adversity. I could put my troubles behind me. I could put it under my feet. (laughs) And now I'm struggling just to stay up. What's wrong with that? I'll tell you what's wrong. We need to get our eyes back on Him. Amen. 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 I feel the Holy Ghost. I don't know if you want me to hurry up, but I'm not in any hurry right now. What are you you looking at this morning that is producing such fear in your life? Is it an MRI? Is it a doctor's report? Is it a business report? Is it a job situation? How many of you believe that you have your job this morning because God worked in your behalf? First hand that went up back here was my brother. Many of you don't know the story, and I don't have time to go into it. But when everything turned against him, God started working for him. Amen. And what God produced was better than he could even imagine. 
I watched your video, brother, on Facebook. Yes, I'm not on Facebook, but my wife said, you got to see this. A testimony, one year in the waiting. Not anything to applaud me or a pastor or anything, but a simple fact that when God speaks, you can take that word to the bank and count on it. It may take a while for God to work it out because you may not be ready for it. Or there may be some things like he said in the book of Daniel. I came a long time ago. I started 21 days ago, but I had to fight some devils to get through to you. But here I am now. So quit griping about the delay and just start rejoicing that God... God's on his way. Uh, He's on his way. Hallelujah. What is it that we're afraid of this morning? We're afraid of what somebody's going to say about us? I wish I could help you. I wish I had a pill that I could give you for that. Where you could just get to the place where you could say, like Paul, none of these things move me. Amen. Doesn't mean they don't affect me. They're just not going to move me. Hey, I hurt just like you do. I don't like people talking about me. I don't like people writing ugly stuff about me. That's one reason I don't get on Facebook, because I would be too tempted to react in my flesh. I told my wife the other day, I'm telling you, it's a good thing I wasn't on Facebook because I would have given them a piece of my mind right then and there. (laughs) It saved me a lot of repenting, Brother Wyndham. I'm telling you, it's kept me from a lot of bad stuff. But why am I more concerned about what's going on around me than the voice that's been calling me saying, come on, walk with me. Come on, overcome that fear. Overcome that adversity. Overcome that problem in your life. Overcome what AA says you can never overcome. That you're going to have to always identify yourself as an alcoholic or a drug addict. You're always, just always get up in the morning and say, I am an alcoholic. No, sir, I am a new man in Christ Jesus. And I am not going to claim something that I'm not. I am not going to speak something over my life that I am not. When he said I'm forgiven, that means I'm forgiven. All of it, every bit of it, not part of it, but every last bit of it. He has forgiven me. He has put it behind his back. So why do you want to drag it back up? Amen. I better shut up. I better quit. Some of you walked through some things that you shouldn't have walked through in your lifetime. You have overcome some things that you should have never been able to overcome. Out of the telling you. People that are grazed up in an abusive home and yet they rise out of that and they become a person of God. And the blessings of God are radiant upon their life. There's no amount of money in the world that can say thanks for that kind of miracle. Things that should have taken you down, you have been able to overcome. But I'm living in a day to see many of God's chosen, God's good people, 
floundering with fear and worry. And you say, Brother Hughes, aren't you afraid? Yes. But I have often become like the psalmist David that when I am afraid, I will trust. I found that it always works a lot better when I do that. Amen. You overcame because your eyes were so locked on His. That's all that you could see. Man, you overcame things that they said you would never overcome. You'd never get away from. I remember sitting one time in a service in Dallas, Texas, and the pastor leaned over to me and he said, you see that person right there? The lady who was up at the altar and her hands were lifted. She was such a godly looking person. And it was evident that God's hand was upon her life. He began to tell me the story of her sordid past. She came out of the brothel. She had been almost like a sex slave in an industry that had exploited her as a child and then growing up. And then somebody invited her to church. And she came And she sat on a pew and she felt the power of God. More than that, she felt the love of God. Something she had never felt in her life. She had always felt like she had been used and abused. But in that service, she felt the love of God. And she opened her life. And God wrapped his arms around her and began to wash her. And people looked at her and said, she'll never make it. She'll go right back to that old trade. It's in them. You can't ever get it out of them. But I live to see it. As far as I know, she's still there living for God with her hands raised. Because what God does, He does good. He does well. Amen. Now listen to me. The reason I believe that she was still afloat is because she has worked hard to never get her eyes off of him. Because she knows the powers that are around her that could suck her back into that old life. And so she kept her eyes on him. I wonder this morning how many of us here today are floundering. I thought it was kind of humorous myself, and I don't mean to be humorous now, but the Bible says he began to sink. Now, I never have figured that out. How do you begin to sink? I mean, y'all know the law of gravity, don't you? It works on water just like it does here. Now, I'm going to drop this. It's not going to begin to sink. How many have ever gotten out of a boat into the lake before? How long did it take you to go under? And yet, God, than you could get a breath. And yet... God did something merciful to Peter. That when he started to sink, he put his hand out there. Giving him a chance to cry out. Giving him a chance to say, Jesus, Jesus, help me. I lost sight of you. I need to see you again. Jesus, come on, Jesus. Help me, Jesus. And he slows the descent. 
so that Peter would have an opportunity to cry out. Oh God, help me. It's me he's talking about. I'm the one that's going down. I'm the one that's floundering. Help me get my eyes back on you. Help me see you again so that these things do not distract me. Let's stand together. Oh, hallelujah. 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 Oh, hallelujah. I feel a hand of mercy at work in this building right now. I feel like God's hand has been under some of you for quite some time. Because if it has not been there, you would have gone down like a rock. But God has slowed the descent. Mercy has intervened on your behalf and mine to give me an opportunity to regain my focus. To get my eyes back on Him. And to remember what had gotten me where I was. It was not anything of my own doing. It was a simple invitation. Come. Come. It was a simple offer for me to experience what He was experiencing. So He slows my descent. I feel like God's hand has been under some of you for a long time. Because if it had not been, you would have crashed and burned. The psalmist said it this way. If it had not been for the Lord on my side. If it had not been for the Lord on my side. The enemy would have overwhelmed me. But God kept me up long enough. He kept me afloat long enough so I had opportunity to cry out, Jesus, Jesus. I wish I could get into some of your minds and spirits right now and help you understand the struggles that you're going through right now are very simple. They would be dissolved. They would be resolved if you would just get your eyes back on Him because with Him nothing is impossible. You can defeat any habit. You can overcome any addiction when you keep your eyes focused on Him. And I want you to reach over and take somebody by the hand right now. Feel the Holy Ghost in this place. An unusual altar service is about to take place. I'm not going to ask you to come to the altar today no more than Jesus asked Peter to come up out of the water. Jesus said, I'm willing to come to where you are. And he did. He reached out. I don't know how far he had to reach. I don't know how quick he had to move to get. I don't know what kind of distance he had to make up. But whatever distance there was between him and Peter, he made it up in an instant. And he reached out and he took him by the hand. And he pulled him back up to the top. Could I tell somebody this morning that God's purpose in this build put you back up on top is to help put you back up on your feet. It is his purpose to help put you back up on top of it. Not under it. Not being sucked down by it. But over it. God's purpose this morning is to put you back in a place where you belong. Where you are walking with him. Overcoming those things in your life that would destroy you Otherwise, and defeating those spirits that have been sent to take the life out of you. But if you would simply understand 
His hand is reaching right now. It slowed the descent. It's tried to slow the digression. But as it's slowing, you better reach out to Him. You better lift up your voice. You better cry out to Him, Jesus. I'm right here, Jesus. I'm the one He's preaching to. I need you to take hold of my hand. I need you to reach me where I am right now. I need you to help get me up on my feet again. Come on, cry out to Him right now all over this building. Would you do that? Come on, reach out to Him. He's very near you. Oh, yes, Lord. Help me to get my eyes back on You. Help me to get my focus back on You, Lord.